The Ravens take care of business, barely, in Arizona. Winners of three straight this week on Pod Like a Raven. Your Baltimore Ravens, 6-2, and two, tied for the number one seed in the AFC, something that I think we all would have taken in August, all things considered, but still feels a little unsatisfying right now. I am Antonio Barbera, and it's just a two-man booth today. Uh, no Jace Evans, so I'm going to say hello to Tim Horsey. Tim, uh, it's just two of us to talk about this game. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, how you doing on, on, on this Monday evening? I'm I'm well, my friend. Probably a good thing. God love Jace, and I would love to have him here. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think the less said about this game, the better, and not necessarily in a bad way. Just more of like a let's not lament the negatives and maybe overhype the positives. Like it was just kind of a routine result here, um, and I think you kind of feel the same way. So I'm excited to get into it. The one thing I'm I think we're missing out on with Jace not being here is addressing some of the text messages sent in the thread. Oh, we on can Sunday. still address them. He just won't be here to defend himself. <laughs> he he really just it was a, a good uh, candidate game of Jace just jumping just right off the boat into the water uh, as soon as we saw a little bit of chop, uh, a little bit of the tide rising and some waves. He was just unhappy, um, not pleased with the. <laughs> with how the game was going, with the team, with the city of Baltimore. Uh, and that was when it was like 7-7. Seven to seven. So, you know, he, he was a little emotional, I think, for for how this game went. But I, I would have liked him on here to talk to him about that and my my take on this game. But it's just Tim. It's just Tim here, so he's going to he's gonna have to listen to this, uh, unfortunately for him. But I think I'm going to end up spending the majority of this recap talking about how things were pretty much fine. For the Ravens, from start to finish, most importantly, once the score was seven to seven, uh, I was not genuinely concerned about the outcome of this game at any point. I, I think it was mostly watching whether or not the Ravens would cover or not, and that I think scoring thirty-one points with a choppy, ugly performance on the road is maybe more impressive. Oh my goodness, call up the ESPN talking heads for this one, but is maybe even more impressive or at least more important than what they did against the Lions, Tim. This is a different type of win that they have lost a lot in the past. This ugly, on the road, can't get things going, look disjointed from the start. That game can continue on like that for 60 minutes, but it didn't really happen here. They figured things out offensively defensively and end up with 31 points we never would have that in other other years yeah I'm, other years I think even just this season with some games like the Indianapolis game that comes to mind like this was almost the foil to that game in the sense that anything that could go wrong would go wrong in that game and it was a little bit more obviously a little bit more uh, catastrophic with, with the Indy game and that being the loss and some of the ridiculous things that happened with that but it was a game where it was the obvious letdown spot. It was another road game, um, part of a five-game stretch with two divisional road games, a game in London, and then this game on the West Coast, where you kind of thought, like, 
as soon as it started going wrong, you went, oh my god, they're going to melt this team. Like, holy crap. And I was having those thoughts, too. I wasn't to the point of, let's see, game kicked off at 425, and at 505, Jace was melting down in the uh, Patreon-exclusive uh, Pod Like a Raven text <laughs> chat. Um, but it was nice to kind of see them struggle, but never feel super, super uncomfortable. And... I don't necessarily disagree with you because I think in terms of this game's importance almost being more important than a statement win like the Lions because I think what this Ravens team has constantly done over and over, like you said, is when everybody talks about them, which everybody was talking about them the previous week, they, you know, lay an egg and lay an egg in an embarrassing losing fashion. This time they didn't do that. They 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 laid a little bit of an egg, a half an egg, maybe two eggs. Would you go the other way? I don't, I don't really know how that works. But they didn't let it affect the overall outcome of the game, which was a win. And I think that you're going to have more of these type of games in a season and in playoffs than you're going to have a Lions game. Most of the time, one phase is not going to go right. Or, you know, most of the time you're not going to be clicking on all cylinders. And you kind of have to find a way to get to that, uh, to still come out victorious. And they did that in this game. And yeah, I'd, impressed is kind of the wrong word, I think, because I wasn't necessarily impressed. But it was good to see this team not look at their best and then still also feel comfortable about a victory. So the game obviously starts out a touchdown for either for both teams. You you have the a 12-play drive from the Cardinals that Jace is already melting down. Um, they're able to get chunk plays on the ground which is something that Arizona did pretty consistently through this game um and then you have the Ravens with the miss Justin Tucker excuse me the miss Jason Tucker uh field goal that of course goes off the bar and the Cardinals take over again and they start to move it a little bit and so you know you can see the concerns and the oh these are the things that don't that only happen in in these trap game losses but then that was kind of it for the the Cardinals just kind of go silent for a long period of time, and it ends up being the Ravens having some choppy possessions, some bad possessions for sure, um, capitalizing off of off of good field position, and then getting into the end zone. So Lamar Jackson, the offense, clearly out of sorts in stretches, but still scored or you know had the missed field goal on six of eleven possessions not not including the final kneel you know the final kneel down on the last play of the game as a possession so on the whole you kind of have to take it but Lamar the word that I have for him for this performance is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. it it did seem like he had a lot of plays in the pocket where he had time to scan the field and either didn't quite read the play correctly or didn't like what he saw he seemed hesitant to make certain throws Multiple times he was looking, seemingly looking at a, at a receiver following a route and was going to throw it. And then you could see him saying, well, let me hesitate. Um, some pump fakes. Then he'd be late leaving the pocket a lot. And as a result, took some sacks. And with all this put together, never really got into a rhythm. He throws for less than 200 yards. He doesn't do much uh, on the ground. And yet, <laughs> they make enough plays here and there. And they have other other players in the backfield that can help. And they end up turning short fields into touchdowns um, and and putting some points up, Tim. So thoughts on Lamar and then also just an opportunity to talk about Gus Edwards having 
finally a game with as many touches as we like would like him to have. Uh, we will see how long that lasts based on what this team does uh, with the running back situation. But I'm curious as to how you thought Lamar played on the whole, given the kind of the game flow uh, and how he how he took it without you know making big plays, but also not many big mistakes uncomfortable is such a perfect word and i know it's not great podcasting to constantly just agree with each other but i had this thought and you know i i watched the game with a couple people so i maybe wasn't as responsive in the text group but one thing i remember they kind of meant to say and then it just kept going so you know had to move on um he had the one like shovel pass flip early in the game where i immediately went oh this is going to be one of those lamar games where everything just seems offbeat and not in, like, the good Ringo Starr way, where that's what, like, part of the, what made the Beatles so good. Like, the fourth grade drummer who j- is just learning how to play and realizing that, no, this isn't the video game rock band. It's actually, like, you have to keep a beat somewhere. And Lamar walks this fine line of, like, obviously those spectacular plays, right? Those out-of-this-world sandbox, the Nelson Aguilar touchdown against uh, the Lions just a week ago are remarkable but they could quickly turn bad and and it felt like it was gonna go more in that direction um which you know i think was a concerning in the moment but you know obviously it, it didn't overall uh, affect the team and and i kind of felt that way too he seemed to be rattled by pressure a little bit more i think one of the things we talked about last week was lamar stepping up in the pocket even though the pocket is kind of collapsing but he still had time to like make throws this was the opposite of that where he would step up into a collapsing pocket and rightly so get sacked or get pressured and yeah everything seemed a little bit off and with that i thought the kind of lack of a running game early on in this game they, they only had nine rushing attempts in the first half for 28 yards they finished the game with 130 rushing yards 80 of those by gus edwards who you mentioned Obviously, do the math there. A hundred of those yards were achieved in the second half. I think they kind of realized, like, look, this is going to be one of those wonky games. This is not going to be a Lamar's going to air it out to everybody. We're going to have tons of time to make plays, what have you. Let's just get back to an aspect of this offense that I, you know, praised last week. I'm so happy that they still have a power running game that can chew clock and dominate weaker opponents and kind of finish out games and i thought you know making gus edwards that guy in the backfield where it wasn't like yeah we're lining up in shotgun and we're lining up with like three wide and one tight end so it's a little bit of a lighter package that means we're definitely going to use justice hill in here no we're going to use gus edwards and we're still going to run the ball up the middle or we're going to run stretch plays with gus and give him the opportunity to make these plays that that kind of you know this is a fan point of view seem to be going for justice uh seem to be going to justice hill more often excuse me and i just <clears throat> I, it was really nice to see because i think and we'll talk about the trade deadline a little bit later if nothing happens um you know on tuesday as you're listening to this where the trade deadline's at four o'clock if you listen to this the day it releases um i still think this offense can be very very competent and good probably great with gus edwards as the lead back so it was nice to see them kind of lean on him, especially in a game that would just simply was not going Lamar's way. It felt a little bit like the Miami Dolphins road game from, I think, was it two years ago, the Thursday night game. That It kind of had the same lack of 
rhythm and flow and just busted plays and the opponent is blitzing and Lamar's not really solving it. And that's such a good point, Tim. They they turned away from what wasn't working, which in that Dolphins game, it seemed to be the same thing over and over and over again, every possession. And in this one, they said, okay, let's just turn to the heavy run game. And it's been working and we're going to use it and we're going to go over and over and over again with this and then we'll throw a couple of small short passes when we need them, when we have to convert third downs, which they did do. They were not pushed by this Cardinals team for long stretches of this game. Uh, they take a 24-7 lead in the fourth quarter, and then the Cardinals finally put a bit of pressure. They put a drive together, um, they get a two-point conversion, and they cut it to 24-15, and now it's like, okay, you're finally getting a little bit of pressure from this Cardinals team. The home crowd is getting a little bit excited. There's a tiny bit of hope. How do you answer? And that was when the Ravens had maybe their best offensive drive of the game where they ran it on every single play until they had a third down deep ball to Beckham, which got a pass pass interference and put him on the one-yard line. It was Gus. It was Lamar. It was run, run, run. They go nine plays, 75 yards, score a touchdown, put it back realistically out of reach once again um we had some things happen after that that uh i will get to later but a a really nice drive to see in a game where things were just sort of out of out of sorts out of rhythm um and when the moment came in a game against a bad team a kind of tough moment they responded uh in in the best way in the best way possible um defensively some good, some bad. Uh, I did not think there was any world in which the Ravens, this Ravens D, gave up 24 points to the Cardinals. But, again, some stuff that was just weird. But we are starting with a guy that I don't think we've spoken about one time uh, this entire season. And he was the MVP of this game, I think you could say, maybe. Michael Pierce, Tim, inside Looking like Aaron Donald. I mean, just demolishing offensive linemen, running backs, shedding double teams, everything. M- maybe his best game as a Raven. What did you think of uh, Michael Pitt, the big boy inside? I uh, just, you know, we've talked about this defensive line a lot this year. Uh, you know, Justin Matabike is a guy who comes up frequently on this podcast. Another good game from him. But the the big fella inside, Michael Pierce, the nose tackle. If you don't know. Was a dominant player for for a while for the Ravens. Was drafted by the Ravens, or started his career with the Ravens. I don't remember if he was. I don't remember exactly where he was drafted. Rose to prominence with the Ravens. Uh, signs a big deal with Minnesota. This is kind of when COVID hits. He is one of the players that decides to sit out the COVID year for personal concerns or what have you, getting them checks, whatever it is. And the following season, um, he unfortunately injures himself. So the Minnesota thing doesn't work out. He ends up returning to the Ravens. Doesn't really have any massive impact this past year or last season, but it has kind of become part of the rotation more, especially with the loss of like a Calais Campbell type on the inside. And man, that Cardinals offensive line had no answer for Michael Pierce. And it's really good to see in a game where, yeah, the the defense struggled, um, you know, I wouldn't say struggled, but based on what we expect from them, right? Against the kind of woeful Cardinals offense, um, you know, the Hollywood Brown revenge game or whatever that was. It was nice to see another guy step up, another guy who could make an impact where 
this defense is laden with stars. Mar- you know, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen coming into his own. Another 11 tackles for Patrick Queen. Justin Matabike, as we mentioned. Marlon Humphrey, Geno Stone with another interception here. The league leader in picks. It was nice to have a guy that, you know, when all those guys maybe aren't the stars of the show, and I thought, you know, obviously some of them still had good performances. It was great to see a dude like that on the inside just eating up. Dominant defensive line play, I've said it multiple times in this podcast, can change games. It can completely throw off the rhythm of of the offense because you're getting pressure immediately right in your face. You're not able to establish the run game, especially on the inside, where it is so crucial. And, yeah, I mean, you know, him being an MVP, I would completely agree. I thought he was a massive part of the reason the, uh, the Ravens won this game. You mentioned Geno with another interception. Stevens also gets an interception. Uh, and that's because Dobbs was really horrible throwing the ball for the majority of this game for the Cardinals. Um, he can complete the five-yard throw, maybe the seven-yard throw, but when you get into passing downs or you have to stretch the field, he would miss receivers consistently, uh, and it led to two really terrible throws and terrible decisions. Um, the second interception is, on a, I think, on a first and ten from your own, you know, twenty-yard line, fifteen-yard line, what have you, and he just throw. When multiple defensive players are both standing there trying to intercept a pass, that's when you know it's a disaster. And, and yeah. trying it in that down and distance and that part of the field was just so bad. And this is what then ties into what's, yeah, it's a what's bothering Antonio. Um, and it's soft coverage, prevent D, mm-hmm. whatever the hell you want to call it, because. Look, I, I get wanting to slow the game down when you have a big lead. The point being you want to prevent big plays beating you, and you want to make the other team bleed clock and have to move the ball methodically and maybe beat themselves. But when you have dominated an opponent the entire game, really after that first drive, which only existed because of Raven penalties... When you've been dominating, especially through the air, against the other team's quarterback through the air... It is ridiculous to me to just start giving away eight-yard completions on every play. Dobbs looked incapable of consistently throwing the ball more than five yards downfield. Why now just suddenly give it to him for free? Because he took advantage, he got into a rhythm for the first time all game, and then they ended up moving the chains faster than they were before that happened. As opposed to him airmailing throws left and right when you're playing tight coverage and man-to-man, now all of a sudden it's this soft zone drifting 15, 20 yards back, and he just just pitch and catch eight yards on first down, run it for three. Eight yards on first down, run it for three. If you're playing the Chargers, if you're playing the Bills, if you're playing the Chiefs, I don't even want to mention the Chiefs because there's no real world where the Ravens are blowing out the Chiefs, but nope. when that's the circumstance... I get it. You want Allen to have to throw things, Josh Allen to have to throw things short so that he can't just get a bomb and get back into the game quickly. But in this situation, it made no sense. And it also specifically let the Cardinals back into this game where all of a sudden they're getting downfield. They're getting into the red zone easily and quickly and putting points on the board. I would love to know if this was a Harbaugh decision or a McDonald decision Feels like a Harbaugh one to me, because one of these guys has been here for a long time, and we've seen it over and over and over again. 
I guess it worked. I don't know. I guess I'm wrong for bringing this up entirely because guess what? The Cardinals, you're not going to recover two onside kicks, so it took that much time. But I hate it. This game should have been over, and you could have just kept your defensive philosophy exactly the same, and guess what? I doubt that the Cardinals would have ended up scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter, which is what they ended up doing in this soft coverage, Tim. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Uh, spoiler alert, it sounds like a man who bet on the Ravens to cover. I will just say that and move on uh, Move on swiftly. No, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, my dad, in, in one of his many beautiful dadisms, said, prevent defense prevents you from winning the game. And we've seen it many times with the dominant Ravens defenses over the years where they get like a 17-point lead that dwindles to three in the fourth quarter and they still squeak out a win. Um, I hate it. I think you should continue to play your game, especially if it's effective, especially if it's working. And especially, too, if you're a defense that really hasn't given up many big plays this year. Like, that was kind of one of the mantras. Was it was it last year? Maybe even when it was two years ago, the final Wink Martindale year, where they just kept giving up chunk plays. It was like constant, you know, 25 to 60-yard touchdowns, at least one a week. And this team doesn't do that. They're, they're a very good well-coached, talented defense, and there's no need to put this amount of anxiety and pressure on fans and and I assume coaches too, because like let's say it, let's say it is a you know defense-led thing where it's Mike McDonald you know kind of changing changing the philosophy. I don't think Harbaugh's loving that lead dwindling, especially knowing how this team you know has been a bit snake bitten over over the um, past couple years in terms of. Just the craziest and most ridiculous ways to lose. It, it shouldn't come down to a second onside kick. Like, I'll just say that. Based on how that game was going, there's no way it should have done that. And the defense, you know, turning into a shell was part of the reason. So, yeah, I, I, again, I know people want us to get in debates and what have you, but we tend to agree on a lot of things, and this one is just another one. I think it was ridiculous. There's no sense in kind of letting up and taking your foot off the gas because – I feel like there's more wrong. There, there's more that can go wrong that can go uh, go right. And we almost saw it uh, there with with the Ravens. Uh, you know, I, I've been uh, ragging on Jace for the first 20 minutes of this podcast, so I'll give him a little bit of credit here. Because uh, he did say, at, at a pretty early juncture, this game will definitely end with the Ravens needing to recover an onside yep. kick. And I, yep. I didn't respond, but I kind of laughed it off. And he was uh, exceedingly right because it was two onside kicks. After he was they almost too failed right. Failed to recover the first one. Um, you know, Tim, I will say I officially did not actually place a wager on this particular game. Smart. But I gave the pick out. I gave yeah. the pick out. You know, as, as we do. And I want to stand by my my decisions uh, for for the listener. Um, and there was no world where the Ravens should not have covered this stupid football game. Um, the Cardinals get the third and 15 first touchdown of the of the fourth quarter where the receiver's forward progress was stopped or moving backwards, I would say for a good five, hard five seconds. They don't blow the whistle. Great. We love that. I've never seen that. They, they always blow the whistle too early, if anything, as opposed to just letting the play go forever. Cardinals get the two-point conversion on the following drive. They get the Odafe Owe uh, just run off sides on fourth and one. Odafe Owe, who is now, I would say, a net negative uh, contributor to this team with that play, and then the blown 
sack where it literally looked like he decided to let Dobbs go. He had him two different times and somehow couldn't couldn't bring him down. The Cardinals then recover an onside kick after the the away penalty leads to an eventual touchdown. Cardinals recover an onside kick. Then they kick a field goal from the Ravens' 24-23 yard line, whatever it was. Miss it, but get another chance to kick it with their own team's false start. I mean, that's uh, it's a hard list of things to happen um, to lose a cover. And for that, I just want to apologize uh, to the listener because uh, you know I gave you a wrong pick, I guess, uh, and I was extremely frustrated by it. Even even with the fact that. The field goal decision by the Cardinals, by Jonathan Gannon, is objectively wrong, given that scenario. There are 34 seconds left in the game, and the Cardinals get down to the Ravens like 20... I don't have the exact number, but it's around the 20-yard line of the Ravens. You're down 10 points. You absolutely should have taken three shots into the end zone from that place on the field. If you somehow score... You then have to do the onside kick again. You can maybe have one throw, and you kick a 60-yard field goal. That's that's the formula at that point in time from that place on the field. But no, Gannon kicks a field goal because he's playing against the spread as opposed to the opponent. It didn't make any sense. Great job, Cardinals. Uh, I, I guess, I don't know, gambling is rampant inside the walls of the facilities. That play <laughs> made no sense. Um, so yeah, yeah, Tim. Without having a bet on it, on it I'm frustrated. Still I'm frustrated. frustrated by it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other things, intangibles in this game, the penalties. I thought it was worse before I looked at it, the actual number. It's six penalties for 45 yards. I think it seemed worse to me because they were in particularly bad spots. Uh, there were two third down penalties on that first drive of the game defensively. Uh, then the, the OA offsides is on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um other than that, I think they look pretty. And the special teams, you got the missed field goal uh, by Justin Tucker. Um, so, you know, not the cleanest performance from special teams either, uh, given that. And not being able to recover an onside kick. Tim Nelson Aguilar was made fun of. He was like a, like a meme because he had bad hands for much of his career. Why is he the literal player put in the position to recover an onside kick for this Ravens team? Yeah, it's a it's a really great question. If you don't know what this clip is, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the episode. Actually, I'm gonna do a little post production, and here, here is go. this amazing clip right here. My man just started throwing babies out the window. We was catching them, unlike Aguilar and his mishaps. I like to put that out there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the most iconic, um, like memeable videos of all time. Of a Philly fan, uh, if you didn't know, when obviously Nelson Aguilar was on the the Philadelphia Eagles, there was this fire where they were like tossing kids out of like a window and catching them and like bringing people to safety because there was a fire in like a high rise or an apartment building or wherever it was. Um, I don't remember the exact details because it's post production and I haven't re listened to the clip yet. That's coming later. Uh, and this guy basically gets on he's being interviewed by the local news and he goes on this whole spiel about what they were doing like saving all these people what have you he's like we were catching them out the window unlike Aguilar like just just a shot from nowhere at this poor receiver and yeah I I don't know you can't make there has to be some like internet rule that you can't make the meme the guy in charge of the job that he's being made fun of because he can't do it very well 
it seems like there's just plenty of other guys in that team. Mark Andrews, big body, big soft hands. OBJ, unless he was hurt at that point in time. Hell, Devin DuVarnay, the guy who returns kicks for you. Anybody but Nelson Aguilar, the poor guy. I, I actually did kind of feel for him, and it was a little bit of justice because I believe he actually did recover the second one. Um, he was yes. the guy kind of because they were like, yeah. Yeah, they just put him right back there again. Go do it again. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it was it was unfortunate. We'll say that. Um, and, again, made, made, it, made you sweat a little bit more than you needed to. Uh, towards the end of that game, but yeah, when I'm looking now to to pull up this clip for us later, when you have hashtag unlike Agalor, you can't make that guy put you can't put that guy as the lead of the hands team. It's just not it's not gonna work. And he didn't even look comfortable with how to play it when it's kicked like that, the little short hop at the beginning, and then it goes high into the. You have to run to the ball. You have to catch it before it hits the ground. And he hesitates from the beginning, and he's unsure. And it... <sighs> Tim, did you know John Harbaugh is uh, was a special teams coach? He uh, he actually came up on special teams, so that's his expertise. One of those things, man, that like I don't know if people are talking about it enough. Just how bad they've been on special teams, you know, this year. Oh <sighs> my goodness! Um, so that was frustrating. Uh, other little notes from this game: the Jadavion Clowney. I'm gonna pick this fumble up instead of just. Fall on oh. it is another another good one that we've had the Ravens do a few times. I have my doubts about whether Dobbs was actually down or not. But guess who doesn't know that? Jadavion Clowney. Just fall on the ball. We would have had it in the red zone to start a drive. Just fall on the ball. Um, and then the last thing that I have <laughs> from this game is the the uh, the commentating crew. Um Tim, were, did had, did you listen to these fellas at all in this so game? So I, I I I had some um, my friend Matt and his wife Jackie and their and their young son were were uh, over to watch the game from out of town. So it was a lot of like catching up while watching the game. Obviously, um, hanging out with their 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 child as well. Um, so no, I di- I didn't really, and I was getting blown up by not only the Pod Like a Raven group text, but multiple group texts about how bad these commentators were. And then you would just kind of hear, like, like from my point of view, because I didn't, again, I didn't really listen intently. And I am the guy who will come on here every week and slaughter Dan Fouts. I have no problem doing that. Just wasn't, you know, wasn't my game uh, to do that this time. But all I could say, and you'll, you'll describe this in better detail, is that sometimes you have, like, a color guy who gets real animated. And sometimes it works, and most of the time it doesn't. But I think the play-by-play guy was doing that, too. Um, based on what I like, could could again listening with basic watching the game, but basically listening with one ear, it seemed like there would be like a and I couldn't tell if that was like the color guy or the play by play guy, which is absolutely one hundred percent a problem. Tim, that's perfect. Uh, they, I don't, I didn't look. I'm not going to say their names because I feel like that's a little too mean, and also I don't remember. Who, I don't know who they are. I didn't know yeah. who they were to we begin with. Ever heard um, of them? Yeah. They were the G crew uh, for CBS. I I don't know. Um, I guess that's what it's like being a Ravens fan. You know, they they tend to have higher profile games uh, throughout the season, so it doesn't get that far down the 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 list. But they honestly sounded like a like a high school crew that gets to broadcast that one game a year on the local radio station or something like that. They were not polished either of them. There was no flow to the commentary, and yes, Tim, 
both of them were way too high-pitched, jokey, excited about every single play. You can't do that. You can't have that in a three-hour game. There has to be ebb. There has to be flow. You have to build at the big moments, and you have to let some of the medium moments just ride out. They didn't do any of that. Um, they were, like, joking around way too much. It was almost like they they knew that nobody was watching this game, so they kind of <laughs> phoned it in. But it's still, what, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of specific people watching this? It was, uh, it was horrendous. After Tucker had the field goal hit the upright, on the following kick, as Tucker's lining up, the color guy was saying, oh, I, I didn't even jinx Tucker on the kick that he missed, so I, I can't believe it. So I'm going to go ahead and say that he makes this one right down the middle. Guaranteed. And commentators do not do that. He, they intentionally do not say those kind of things before kicks. It's like a kind of a running joke with commentator. Oh, don't jinx him. Just, like, he, like, leaned into it to try to be funny. I, they would lose the thread of the game at random points and start talking about other teams and other games. They talked about the... They called the... um. The Cardinals did a QB sneak, and it didn't work, and the color guy was like, oh, the tush-push there didn't work. Tush-push. Tush-push. He said it 800 times instead of talking about the Eagles. It was horrible. It was literally the worst that I've heard from this team, or a game that this team has been in. And we get Nance and Romo to make up for it next week. Uh, Romo, I could take or leave. Nance, obviously, one of the best... uh, play-by-play guys going it's the number one crew for cbs so we get them uh as a reward i guess cbs trying to make up for man the disgrace (laughs) because i'm not being hyperbolic here the disgrace of uh of that commentating team i didn't like it i don't know if you could tell uh, i'll just say this um i'll probably have some thoughts about tony romo on next week's (laughs) episode we'll just say that all right anything else from this game tim before we uh we turn away to the NFL. Yeah, just one thing. I sort of mentioned this, and, and a guy that we quote a lot, and I'm, could, we will probably continue in this next section that we do here. Um, Jeff Zarebeck, obviously the athletic reporter for the Baltimore Ravens. Incredible follow. Sign up for the athletic. If you're if you're even just a fan of just the Ravens and that's your only sports team, you should you should follow the athletic um, and sign up for, for them. Get get one of the cheap you know dollar deals or whatever it is. It's, it's completely worth it. He just wrote in his recap piece, and I just want to read this because it, it kind of puts a lot of perspective on us kind of hitting the panic button a few times early in the, earlier in the year. Quote, the Ravens finished a five-game strep- stretch where they played two divisional road games, a game in London, and another on the West Coast with four victories. Players and coaches would have probably – by the way, the other game in that five-game stretch that I didn't mention was the Lions game. Good team. So just throw that in there uh, aside. They finished with four victories. Players and coaches would have probably signed up for 4-1 and one in blood before the stretch began. Now they await three straight games at home. Six of their final nine regular season games are at the friendly confines of M&T Bank Stadium, end quote. We've talked about the end of this schedule being pretty brutal, but six of nine are at home. A lot of division is already out of the way, and you finish 4-1 and one with two road games in division, Lions... London and a West Coast trip to Arizona. I think I think a lot of times we need to step back and realize kind of how spoiled we are with this Ravens team. Um, not saying we don't their criticism isn't deserved because it absolutely is for the expectations we have, but pretty damn good uh, r- rolling into the kind of back half of the season here. 
Yeah, two frustrating losses, some wins that haven't been as comfortable as you would have hoped or wanted or thought based on the matchups. You want to be tied for the top seed in the AFC after eight games? Yep. Yes, that, that sounds good to me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, okay, let's turn to the NFL now. We're first, we're going to do a few minutes here on the NFL trade deadline, which, as Tim mentioned, is Tuesday. Uh, today, as you as you likely listen to this, um, at 4 p.m., we're recording this Monday. So obviously, we don't know what has already happened at this point. Hopefully, you know, just a massive uh, signing for the Ravens, but we're going to talk about what we think they should do, could do, what we think they will end up doing realistically. Um, But it's an interesting place for this team, Tim. Um, Number one being, they don't have these big holes. They're they're 6-2, and right? They've won all these games, they've played um, fairly well, and you haven't seen this glaring need at a certain position group. The edge additions that they made um, with Clowney and Van Noy have worked, I would say. Um, the secondary has been good to even above average. Remember when that was going to doom us as we were talking in the summer, that that was going to be a, a situation where we had Robert Jackson as cornerback two on this team very, very quickly. They've been very solid. They've had depth. They've rotated pieces. Um, Rocky Sin can't even get playing time. He, he was our big secondary acquisition. He doesn't get snaps on the defensive side of the ball. He plays some special teams, and that's it. Um, He was already getting faded out before the Lions game, and then he came in in the fourth quarter and got burned twice by Jamison Williams, even though I think neither ended up being caught. Uh, And he hasn't played much since. And yet, the secondary has held up pretty well. Um, How many times have we seen, like, a blown coverage? this season zero times like a deep blown coverage i think it's zero the offense is in good shape however but this gigantic but we haven't really played much top competition or top quarterbacks so we're kind of in an unfortunate situation where this trade deadline comes where the team hasn't been tested enough to know their own weak points is that a fair assessment tim or do you think this is the nfl even bad teams are going to find weaknesses and, and exploit them. No, I, I mean, I think from that secondary point of view, I think that's a really, really strong case um, that they really haven't. They faced, I'm trying to go through my head, Burrow, I guess, right? It's Is, a banged up Burrow and the Lions. <laughs> and Jared Goff, yeah, right, and the Lions, of course. Um, yes, I think it's more of, yeah, I, I think that's a very valid point because, look, the AFC is still a gauntlet when you're talking about quarterbacks that you're going to have to be facing late in the year. Mahomes, Allen, Tua, and more Mike McDonald, but Tua. Um, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who is coming to his own for a Jags team who is very, very good. You know, there's a lot of talent that you have to face. Not Deshaun Watson. He doesn't want to play anymore, so don't have to worry about him. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's a lot of that, and it's also to – this team has dealt with corner 
injuries in general, right? But secondary injuries have been a problem for this team, like, across years at this point. So I think still you you want to have cover in case maybe the Rocky Sin signing wasn't what you wanted. Maybe Geno Stone kind of starts falling off a cliff a little bit, you know, and then – a Brandon Stevens injury or God forbid another Marlon Humphrey injury kind of leads to, you know, Oh no, we're now we are talking about Robert Jackson again on the field way too much. So I think it's one of those things where, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a hole that we, the, the hole that we thought it was, but that changes quickly in the NFL, man, that changes really, really quickly. All it takes is a couple injuries or, uh, you know, somebody to start slipping a little bit in terms of their their level of play and and then you got a problem on your hands come you know come late playoffs divisional round on when you're playing the top guys the big money guys week in and week out do you think that the the ravens will look to to make a move we know DeCosta's done it before um 2019 they did it with marcus peters 2020 yannick Ngakwe last year with roquan smith uh, do you think he continues that pattern, or is this kind of a different, maybe a different situation, roster-wise, financially, what have you? Uh, so here, here's the thing: the Ravens are always kind of tied up against the cap, right? This is a little bit different because obviously the Lamar deal, where that is incredibly expensive now, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, as of right now, and again, we love the people that listen as soon as the episode releases on Tuesday, because that is when it's the freshest, and and we love our listeners for that. If you're listening to this a little bit later, this could all be uh, null and void. So we'll, we'll, we'll glance over this. But a couple of things I do want to talk about. Diana Rossini of The Athletic is reporting that the Ravens are one of the teams looking to add a running back. They are looking in this running back market. There are a lot of running backs on the trade, on the quote unquote, let's say, let's call it the Twitter trade block. Not the real trade block, but the, the trade block that we all think. Like, oh, this team's tanking. Like, what? Come on. They, they, they definitely don't need these guys anymore. Derrick Henry being one of them, Josh Jacobs being another one, Saquon Barkley uh, a third, um, and obviously Josh Jacobs, we don't know the results of the Monday Night Football game as we're talking about this, but, you know, Josh McDaniels is their coach. They're not going anywhere. Um, Dalvin Cook, who was not getting the playing time he thought he would uh, in New York. I think a Roquan Smith-level trade is not on the cards this year, and that might be me trying to dampen my expectations. But, one, we know the likes of Barkley and Henry. The teams have come out and said via, you know, Rap Sheet and Adam Schefter and what have you, that those guys aren't for sale. The Ravens have $3 million in cap space right now, and some upcoming free agents are Justin Matabike, Patrick Queen, Odo Beckham Jr., who knows anyway, Kevin Zeitler, Geno Stone, who all of a sudden might be trying to, to make some money because he's leading the league in picks. There's a lot that you want to try and retain of your in-house talent, which the Ravens are more concerned with anyway, obviously, than trying to sign lucrative free agents or what have you. They would love to keep one of Matabike and Queen. I think everybody's realistic that's saying they're not keeping those. And I think looking ahead and knowing that, hey, you hit on some of these picks and you want to keep some of these guys in-house is going to maybe limit their options. But I'm not putting anything past Acosta, man. Like, I'll say this. As you're listening to this, I am, I'm, I'm working. I'm very busy at work. But also, I am refreshing Twitter constantly to see if something had actually happened um, around 4, at 4 p.m. And that's going to start really early in the day. And it's going to limit my productivity a little bit. I won't lie. Um, I hope my bosses aren't listening. They're not Ravens fans. They're not. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but 
This is a long way of saying I'm not sure. I don't think so this year because the the cap situation is so much tighter even than it you know more normally is. But if they make a call on a guy that maybe this is the year that they use a rental, right? Like I don't think Yannick Ngakwe was supposed to be a rental, but then he ended up just not working out. So they didn't really keep keep uh, him in the building. Marcus Peters and Roquan Smith, the intention there was, no, well, we'd like to sign them long-term, and they did so, obviously. Maybe this is the year where they're like, we're this close. We feel really good about where we are. We'll risk a couple draft picks for the, you know, I'm not – I don't love the Derrick Henry, but like, let's say Saquon Barkley. Like, I think that would be a really dynamic piece. We'll risk it for the rental and just say, look, we kind of know we're not going to be signing him after this, but let's try and take that next step this year to make ourselves really good. DaCosta loves making that move, man. So I, I could see it happen. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. It's, it's so funny. It's, am I the only person who can't picture Derrick Henry in this offense? I don't, I, feel I, don't like, I feel like it, it no, just, no. like, he's an odd. Fit. He's not really a pass catcher. He, and he's, he's not a short kind of... yardage guy, by the way. You know who's a better yeah. short yardage guy? Is Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is definitively, if I need three yards, or let's say even shorter yardage, if I need two yards on fourth down, <clears throat> I'm giving the ball to Gus Edwards over Derrick Henry. I just am at, the, at this point in their careers as well. It is, it, all of this is strange to me. I mean, look, I believe. Diana Rossini is a. Uh, she's much more plugged into things in the NFL than I am. Meaning, I'm not at all. Um, but the Ravens looking to add a running back is a little strange to me. Outside of maybe a marginal addition, because they have Gus, they have Hill. Mitchell is kind of this guy that they're I think trying to get more involved, but he keeps getting these sort of these small uh, injuries. I think he will come back and start taking some of Hill's. Uh, snaps and plays but then they just have Melvin Gordon on the practice squad he's the guy that's just like waiting to kind of come up and, and, and take some snaps and take some plays he apparently has one uh, practice squad like uh, elevation remaining uh, until they have to make a decision with him so I think they're keeping him on the practice squad until they decide that they need to bring him up permanently or not so there are guys there and I I, th- I think you've maybe hit the nail on the head here is that the rental is the move because they don't have a ton of money uh, and they're not, guess what? They're not going to pay a lot of money for running backs anyway. They're, they're too ahead of the curve uh, on that to, to really invest any money, significant money in, in that position. But um, I kind of see them sitting tight. I, I think they like where they're at. They're relatively healthy which is great you know for the first time in a long time after a couple weeks in a row no major uh, injuries which is something that's been amazing um but boy it'd be nice it'd be it'd be it'd be fascinating it doesn't cost us a penny tim mm-hmm. for them to uh pay a guy for a couple of months to make a super bowl run so we will see um we will see how that goes let's turn to uh the nfl sunday uh, as as it happened um, we finally got some help in the AFC North, first of all, with the Steelers and Browns losing um, in very interesting and different ways. The Steelers finally play out a normal bad game because they've been bad every single week and somehow were 4-2 and two, uh, entering Sunday. Had the Jags visit them. Um, it played out like every other Steelers game. It was 9-3 to three for a very long period of time. 
you're just waiting for that one big play to come from from the Steelers where they take a 10-9 lead. And finally, it actually went as it should have. The Jags tacked on some extra points. They end up winning uh, relatively comfortably. Kenny Pickett hurt out of that game. Trubisky comes in, and boy, does he do Trubisky things. Thrown across his body, terrible interceptions. Uh, I have not seen any status for uh, Pickett, so we'll see how, how they go week in, week out. But, I mean, it's, you know, we're turning into November very, very soon. The Steelers know exactly what they have at the quarterback position, and it's not good either way. So I would not be shocked if that team peters out a bit more and we finally, finally talk about the Tomlin magic, you know, not being able to sustain what is a terrible offense and a bad quarterback, quarterback play just in general. Um, The Browns lose uh, with their backup quarterback situation, as Tim mentioned, Deshaun Watson not playing in this game. It's may it's already maybe one of the worst contracts in NFL history, and if it is, of course it's the Browns, and nobody will have any sympathy for them whatsoever, because when you make a deal with the devil, you deserve every negative consequence that you get, so choosing to pay that specific player the most guaranteed money in the history of the NFL, you deserve it. You deserve everything, Cleveland. Um... And I, they just also kind of look like a 500 team, even with how good their defense is. And the Bengals, however, they look bad. They look fine. They're back. Yep, they they're could, back. they could win out. Uh, they had the best win of the weekend, uh, and a great handicap pick by Tim. Double-digit win in San Francisco with Purdy playing a hell, you know, a relatively healthy Purdy, not a backup quarterback situation. The Bengals could win out. Um, I have I have my uh, concerns about them down the stretch here, but an interesting week in the AFC North, Tim. How do you uh, how do you see things shaking out? Uh, the Browns are just hilarious, and long may it continue. I mean, the just the amount of karma for g- getting rid of a quarterback who, outside of Cleveland, nobody liked in Baker Mayfield. But if you listen to anybody from Cleveland, you know our partners here at Fansided. I did the Browns podcast. Um, maybe a couple years ago at this point with their guys there uh, kind of previewing the weekend and it's hilarious they invited me on just because of all the s i talk about that team but they did and it was it was a great time those guys were very nice and we were talking both on the podcast and before and and i've heard other podcasts of you know when they bring cleveland guests on or whatever since they loved baker because it was like stability he had a little bit of moxie it was a guy who would want a playoff game against pittsburgh he lived in the stadium, which is crazy. He lived in the stadium, which was insane. Um, the, you know, really just really kind of embedded himself in the community, as it were. But they they kick him to the curb to make a very controversial trade for a shady character. We'll just put it that way. You know the story by now. And then give him fully guaranteed money for a guy that hasn't played this long. It's almost like there was no other way that this was going to work out other than how it is right now with him not playing. So it's just, it's absolutely hilarious. The Steelers, man, talk about two teams wasting defenses. Like it, these, both of these teams kind of remind me of the old Ravens, but in that day and age, offense wasn't so one heavily favored by the rules and two as high powered as it is right now. And so you waste opportunities um, when you have not historic, by the way, but good defenses. I'm tired of hearing about this Cleveland defense being historic. Um, 
and you they're they're wasting these units that they're not going to have for very a very long time because it's rare that you get all this talent on that side of the football together at once you got to pay guys what have you and they're wasting it on the likes of Mitchell Trubisky, Kenny Pickett and PJ Walker. Um just I'm I'm completely fine with it. We'll probably still lose to the Steelers this year uh, again in another terrible way, but it it looks bleak for those two teams and really opens up just Ravens Bengals again. It, that kind of looks like what it is to me in the AFC North right now. I'm just pulling up when the Ravens play the Bengals for that second game, November 16th. I think it's a Thursday night. Pretty sure that's a Thursday night game at home. It yeah. is. Ugh. Yep. Yep. Not great. <sighs> Prime time against the Bengals at home. That can't go. That can't go poorly. Um, elsewhere in the NFL, some interesting things uh, happened. First of all, the Vikings win again, get to four and four. I think it was you and I, Tim. I, I can't remember if Jace was on board with this, but we liked them to just repeat as as NFC North winners, and then they started off terribly. I'll go quickly four and here. Four. I was. Um... I was on the Packers, and that's the other side of this game. That was wrong. They officially stink. <laughs> so it must have been it must have been Jace then. I apologize, but the Vikings seem to be getting back on track for the, getting their mojo, winning a few games, and unfortunately now lose uh, Kirk Cousins to an Achilles tear. He's out for the rest of the year. They're an interesting team to see uh, before the trade deadline if they look to make a, a quarterback acquisition. They're back up. Um, Nick Mullins was already on IR, um, so they were, had to play a third string uh, to finish out their game. I would not be surprised if um, they made uh, a play for some quarterback who might be available. I'm not really... Tannehill is a name that's been floated, but I don't know. Do you want Ryan Tannehill? Is that like a major, major upgrade at this point? Um, the Vikings, one loss... Uh, excuse me. They have one fewer win than the Detroit Lions at this point. The Lions five and two. The Vikings four and four. So a chance, time, uh, an opportunity to to try to make a run. Um, we will see if they make a move to improve the quarterback position. The Tennessee Titans uh, play Will Levis, and boy does he play. Uh, several deep touchdown passes. They win big against the Falcons. We will see if this is a one week. Uh, a one-week blip for the rookie quarterback, or if he can, uh, I'm not going to say carry them, but but be a positive sign of the future for, for the franchise uh, as him being the guy at, at quarterback. And then the Chiefs, uh, who all of America had in a teaser or straight yep. up, yep. have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Um, it snows. They, they clean up the snow, so now snow is not a factor. Uh, Mahomes, he's got the flu, uh, apparently, and they turn the ball over in every way imaginable uh, in a terrible loss, a blowout loss, to the Denver Broncos, who they had not lost to um, since the Bush administration. That's a, a slight exaggeration. Um, Mahomes hadn't lost to, like, what was it, a, a, t- a team with a losing record in his career or something like that? I mean, it, never it, it lost. is the Obama administration, by the way. So that, <laughs> that's not an exaggeration. Since then. Uh, yeah, so of course they look terrible. Um, can't score, can't move the ball. And they turn it over constantly and never really get, get a foothold. Um, so obviously I'm taking them this week because there's no way that that happens twice. But 
Tim, what was your uh, games that, that you watched or things that you noticed or cried about like I did um, when watching some of those Chiefs highlights? Um, outside of the Chiefs here, uh, I'll go a couple. I just want to go a couple outside of what you mentioned. Um, the Eagles still, like, they're 7-1, and one, but not convincing yet, which maybe is a good thing. You know, talk about Air- this Arizona game for the Ravens. Like, you want to get the win even though when you don't look that good. Um, they they go to overtime, I believe. Or no, no, it wasn't overtime. I apologize. But a 38-31 dramatic win over the Commanders, who always play them tough. Jalen Hurts, four touchdowns. A.J. Brown might be the offensive player of the year. Um, as some, nobody cares about your fantasy team, but as somebody that has him in fantasy and watches a lot of Eagles because of it, my God, that guy is very good at football and just an imposing force. Um, the Cowboys, outside of the Bengals, I think will be the chatted up team of the week across all of the various networks and podcasts and radio shows that you listen to because they absolutely hammered the Rams, but the Rams just might be bad. And then I just want to read you, you know, we go sometimes on this podcast, we go by uh, first half, second half for the Ravens games, right? I just want to read the first half of a particular game drives. And I want you to tell me which one it was. And I need my pen out to, to mark these because there's a lot here. First half of this game. Ready? Fumble, field goal, punt, 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 touchdown, missed field goal, punt, 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 fumble, punt, punt, punt. If, if you can't count or you're not keeping up with me, that is 15 combined punts. Neither team actually converted a third down in this first half. And that would be the stinker bowl of Jets-Giants. My God! What a horrendous, horrendous game of football that constantly popped up on the red zone. The Ravens being the 4 o'clock game, you had a little bit of time earlier in the day to sit on your couch and just watch red zone or whatever local game you were given on CBS and Fox. And if it was that one, I am sorry because, Jesus Christ, that was bad. And not, in a you know, for all the Zach Wilson resurgent talk that maybe he can lead him to the playoffs and old Gimp Rogers can walk out there and, and maybe make some noise in the playoffs – I don't see it based on that performance. And, you know, we'll talk about here with our preview. Um, the Giants already kind of gutting their team ahead of the trade deadline as well. So, yeah, I just ugh, terrible and a terrible excuse uh, for football up there in the Meadowlands. The Jets, uh, this Jets team has one more loss than the Baltimore Ravens. Jesus. One more loss than the Kansas City Chiefs. It, it doesn't make any sense. They're not good. And I feel like we have too many of those teams this year that are just not good football teams and are putting up wins and have even have winning records. And I just hope that it kind of shakes out. Actually, no, no, I hope it doesn't. I hope the Jets make it to the playoffs because maybe the Ravens can play them. Um, but it's a yeah, it's a weird uh, kind of a weird in between zone for a lot of teams, and we'll see how November and December of football uh, ends up changing things there. Okay. Let's get back to the Ravens. Um, they're back home, as Tim mentioned, uh, and will be for, for a nice little stretch. And they are five-and-a-half-point favorites against the uh, also six-and-two. No, sorry, excuse me, five-and-two Seattle Seahawks. Um, boy, another example for Jace not being here. I gave Jace a ton of uh, flack when he picked the Seahawks to win the West. And I said, that's just wrong. Um, the 49ers will win the West by a lot. 
Seahawks, half a game up on the 49ers at the at least at this point in the season. So, JC, that would be an amazing uh, pick to, to, to get right over me by the time we get to, to January. But still a lot of football left to play for this week. It's, uh, it's the game of the week in the NFL. Sort of. Bengals-Bills uh, will play at night. Chiefs-Dolphins will play in the morning in Germany. So it's the 1 p.m. game of the week. Um, between two playoff hopefuls uh, and one Super Bowl contender. Yeah, that's right. I said it. So let's start with the Ravens on offense. The Seahawks? Against the, C- <laughs> against the Seahawks defense. Um, a battle of kind of aggressive birds here, Tim. But what do you think of the, of the Ravens uh, offensively uh, going up against the Seahawks defense that um, may or may not have made a, a nice little move uh, here a couple a couple hours ago? I'm literally just writing this in our doc. A battle of aggressive birds. That's the episode title uh, as you're clicking on this. And you're like, I wonder why it's that. It is this moment in the podcast. This is why that is the title of the episode here. Um, I think the Seahawks defense is underrated maybe you know they they were pretty bad or actually really really bad to start the year last year they kind of found their footing and they really hit on some some late draft peak picks uh woolen the cornerback was like leading the league in, in interceptions last year um and they immediately went out and addressed some of their other issues in, in the draft devin witherspoon the corner out of Illinois the man who even when he gets you know he's the typical cornerback that if it's an incomplete pass because the quarterback threw it into row Z rather than actually hitting the receiver he's going to talk trash to the receiver because it was him who did that he's a hard-hitting physical tone-setting corner who I've loved to watch play uh, to start the year um, Bobby Wagner is back on this team too uh, at before and I, I don't have it um, unfortunately I don't have it for uh, up to this week before this past week's games, they were leading the league in, in rush defense, giving up the least amount of yards on the ground as well. And then they just went and traded uh, on Monday for Leonard Williams, the very talented defensive tackle from the New York Giants, um, who also played for the Jets for a little while as well. I believe at a USC. Uh, they sent a second round and a fifth round selection to the Giants. Uh, that fifth round selection coming in 2025, not next year's draft, to, to really beef up this defensive line is this revenge for the marcus peters debut which was included a pick six in seattle against the seahawks in his first game with the ravens now leonard williams is going to go have like four sacks in his debut for the seahawks and everything's gonna be great probably not but i'm still a little bit worried about it um i will say with all of that praise being heaped on that on that unit i should mention as well by the way shout out uh listener frankie kelly kai blue kelly is on this team now. He is on the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, just looking at the depth chart there. I really hope you didn't buy a Seattle 28, Frank. But, you know, if you did, good on you. Um, this is not the unit that I'm more worried about with Seattle. I think it's very solid. I think it has... I haven't even mentioned Jabal Adams because I just think that he's he's very much a name. You know, uh, he probably has more wristbands <coughs> than sacks this year, and that's kind of what he's known for coming off the edge. Um, there's a lot of talent on this team. A lot of guys that you might not... Might, might not be your T.J. Watts and your Miles Garretts, but are really, really solid, good, good defenders. But it's the other side of the ball that has me a bit more concerned, I think, in terms of, you know, where the Ravens could let this game slip. All right, well, then let's let's just turn to that. I mean, for me, it's just the Ravens' offense at home. Can they work 
at this at 80% efficiency that they did at home sure. against the Lions. Yep. That would be great. That would, you know, can they just execute uh, run their plays, avoid turnovers, have a positive, you know, a nice quiet uh, atmosphere when when trying to run it. But let's turn right to the Ravens' defense then against the Seahawks' offense. Tim, a nice little test for this Ravens' defense that hasn't faced stud offenses, hasn't faced stud quarterbacks. We talked about that, uh, you know, closer to the top of this episode. You look at the, the weapons that this team has in, in Seattle, and it's a step up. Uh, quite simply, between Lockett, Met, Metcalf, uh, Smith, Smith and Jigba, uh, even that Bobo guy. I don't even know his first name. Just some, something Bobo. Jake um, Bobo. Jake, Jake Bobo. Bobo. Uh, Noah Fant is the, is the tight end there in the trade um, for Russell Wilson. Uh, and then Walker is a great back. There, there is talent all over the field um, on the Seattle offense. There is not talent on the offensive line, though. Um, Charles Cross was the... First round selection uh, in the 2022 draft. But outside of that, you know, it, it's a unit that has been bad for years for Seattle, really. It's been one of those units where, like, it was working with Russell Wilson because he, he couldn't see over him anyway. So he would scramble to his left and to his right to make plays, and, and it wasn't as big of a problem. But this league-leading uh, sack unit for the Baltimore Ravens should feast, and they, they should really dominate. And this is where I think they could change the game because – I think Geno Smith is, you know, I don't think he's great per se, but he's got enough weapons there that he all he has to really do is distribute. Um, I think if they can create pressure on Geno Smith, get him off his spot, he is not a, you know, scrambling improvisation quarterback. Get him out of rhythm so he can't make these deep bombs to lock in. He can't hit DK Metcalf over the top. Can't get the nice little, you know, security blanket, whether it's Smith and Jigba, whether it's uh, Noah Fant, and make sure that that offense doesn't consistently just keep moving. I think the Ravens' defense can, can, you know, if they do that, they can win this game for this team. I really think so. Um, and, then, and then with Kenneth Walker as well. Kenneth Walker, very good running back and also a home run hitter. This is a team full of home run hitters. Tyler Lockett is a deep bomb specialist. Um DK Metcalf, the joke is that he really only knows how to run straight, but he's very, very effective at that. Kenneth Walker is is the king of the, the 60-yard TD, really. Like, he's he's got that in his locker. So limit the big plays, which is something the Ravens have done um, very effectively uh, over, the, uh, over the course of the season. If they continue to do that, I think that they'll be okay on that side of the ball. Yeah, for me, Geno Smith, I don't know, he's the perfect, like, average quarterback to me which isn't even an insult there's so many below average quarterbacks and then there's maybe 10 above average and he's kind of right in that middle ground for me he runs the offense he can make some nice plays um get out of the pocket a little bit um but he's also not flashy and he can be turnover prone he had two bad picks uh, against the Browns last week. Another one that would have been a pick six that the, the defensive back just completely dropped. Um, he has six interceptions on the season. Uh, and I don't, I, I just, Geno Smith cannot carry an offense on the road to me in a difficult environment. Maybe I'm wrong with this. I mean, he won in Detroit and they scored points in that game, won in overtime. But I just feel like outside in Baltimore, um, with the crowd going, I just can't see him just consistently um, taking them down the field. So you're right, Tim. Can they stop the big play and force Smith 
to convert third downs consistently, uh, you know, avoid pressure and all that. The Seahawks overall, they are 11th in points for, they are 11th in points against, they're 15th in passing yards, 19th in rushing yards, and they're 17th defensively in yards per game allowed. Everything's just kind of average, kind of in the middle. Um, they're going to be on the road, traveling east, where a 1 p.m. game is going to feel like a 10 a.m. game. And I actually think they're going to be the sluggish team uh, in a matchup against the Ravens, which is, uh, you know, what a nice, unique thing um, for a Baltimore fan for where it's the opponent that's sluggish. So I do think the Ravens actually take a pretty big lead early. I think the Seahawks start slow. Um and boy, I wanted to take the Ravens five and a half, but it's it's a little bit too rich for me. So I'm actually taking the Seahawks to make a late charge. You know, they're up. Uh, the Ravens are up like ten in the fourth, and the Seahawks get a late touchdown to make it a three point game. Um, and then the Ravens are able to run the clock out. That's kind of how I see this game going. So with that, I will be taking the Seahawks plus five and a half. Um, as we turn to to the gambling section, I'll just close it out and. Uh, and Tim, you can kind of finish up with whatever you want to discuss with the Ravens. One and two last week uh, with my picks. I'm having a, it's a frustrating time for me uh, in in the gambling world. I won the Jags pick, which I thought was really the toughest uh, decision uh, in Pittsburgh, and then I lost that Ravens pick somehow, uh, and then I lost the tease with the Chiefs losing to the Broncos uh, because of course they did this time. 10 and 14 uh, on the year, but we're we're gonna we're gonna work our way back uh, as the as the leaves change and and the cold starts coming in here. So taking the Seahawks plus five and a half. Huh. you know they say don't bet the Europe games. Um, so I took the Bills uh, when they were in London <laughs> and they obviously lost that. And so now I'm taking the Chiefs when they're in Germany. Chiefs are two and a half point favorites against the Dolphins. Um, the Dolphins still have not beaten a team with a winning record. They got another nice little win uh, against a two-win Pats team. I get to take the Chiefs with Mahomes and company coming off of an embarrassing loss with Mahomes no longer being sick, and they're on a neutral field, and the line is less than a field goal against that soft Dolphins D that's 25th in the NFL and points against. Yes, please. Uh, I am taking the Chiefs minus two and a half. Europe be damned, uh, and we'll see. Um, and then I have uh, maybe two other picks. I'm, done. I'm not doing a tease. They've not worked for me uh, for the most part this season, so sticking with just single-game picks here. And I just wrote down, why am I not taking Bengals minus three at home against the Bills? So I am taking Bengals minus three. They've looked comfortable against the Bills for a bit, they beat him three times. Uh, I, sh- I should say they beat him twice uh, last season um, and were leading in the game that was suspended um, with the DeMar Hamlin uh, injury and, and, and scare. They're at home. Everything's working for them. And they get, it's like teams going in opposite directions uh, and it's only a field goal. So I, I really like the Bengals in that spot um, against the Bills. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna take this. Um, I can't. I mean, this <laughs> is just the, the next the next two picks that I have. I tell you what, I'm gonna stop there, and then okay. I'm gonna let Tim do his picks, and then I'm gonna ask some questions and see, you know, maybe close out with questions for Tim as we discuss this. But Tim, why don't you uh, close this out first? Yeah, I mean, if if you know anything about me, I, so last week I did go two and one, uh, fourteen and seven on the season, which 
I'm actually pretty proud of. Um, won the Cardinals and won the Bengals, as um, Antonio alluded to earlier. Did finally lost the tease, which I knew was coming sooner rather than later. Um, so I am also going to avoid it this week as well. Just some, just some at time of recording, just a lot of threes in in, in the gambling world um, in terms of where where you're going to go um, in terms of like who to bet. And I'm just I don't love a lot of the board, but I say that every week, and I've been doing pretty well. So I guess I'm just going to keep keep swinging. Um, if you know me, you know I'm taking Seahawks plus five and a half here. Anything Ravens under three and a half, I'm probably taking the other team. Um, it's worked for me so far, and I'm going to continue to do it. Seahawks plus five and a half. I'm going to take the Eagles minus three against the Cowboys. I know I just said that the Eagles haven't really been convincing all year, but that line, and I know Vegas is smarter than this, that line seems to me that everybody, it seems too short. I'll just say that. The Cowboys, it was the first time that they had a home one o'clock game in a very long time, and they were playing a bad opponent with a coach who just had a kid, so wasn't really thinking about the game too much, even admitted that he would not go to the game if the kid was born on a Sunday. His head was in a different place, and they absolutely mollywopped the the Rams. And I think that this line, they think the Cowboys are on the same level as the Eagles, and it's just like a home field thing. I don't agree. I think the Eagles minus three against the Cowboys. Um, and I believe the Eagles are the home team with that. And as I say that, I need to look that up and double check. Either way, I'm taking the Eagles minus three. They are the home team on a 425 game. Uh, that place is going to be loud and mean. And I I just, I would love it at two and a half. It, I, I admittedly took it this morning at two and a half. But as we record, the line has moved to three. Uh, so I have to say that on the show here. But two and a half is even better. And then I think for the first time ever in Pod Like a Raven history, because I didn't love any of the, the spreads. I'm going to take an over-under, and I'm also going to go with the Dolphins-Chiefs game. I, I looked at some other games. I looked at the Browns-Cardinals and tried to take the under there because that game it just stinks of 7-10. to 10. But instead, I'm going to go Dolphins-Chiefs in Germany, and purely for the reason that it's in Germany. This line is 50-and-a-half. 50-and-a-half. The Dolphins are going out early. The Chiefs apparently are only having one practice in Germany before playing, so they're going to before playing overseas. So they are going to be the team that starts slow. And I think this game might end 20 I'm trying to do the live math in my head, never do live math. 24 to 20 or 24 21, which will do it. The line is 50 and a half for a Euro a game in Europe. I know these teams are both high powered. The Chiefs by the way are not as high powered as you think. Um, their receivers can't catch any balls. Uh, they could go out and add DeAndre Hopkins tomorrow, and this could all change. Who knows? But for right now, I think it's either a blowout either way, and it doesn't hit that 50-and-a-half number, or it's just a sleepy, sleepy Europe game, which is what we see all the time. They call it the Lunder for a reason. Uh, obviously, this game not being played in the capital city, uh, being played in Germany, of course. But I, I just – I'm picking – Purely based on that number being too high for a Europe game. 50 and a half under in Dolphins Chiefs. Chiefs 24, Dolphins 21. That sounds good to me. That'll do it. Uh, Yep. uh, Okay, so I have two other games here that I wrote down. And maybe I should just, you know, let's just stop. Settle down. It's Raiders minus three at home against the Giants. And this is just kind of like the Giants are bad. They're a bad football team. They're sellers, uh, as we just mentioned, you know, trade giving away Leonard Williams. They're going to get um, Daniel Jones back for this game. 
is that even an upgrade? I, I don't know if that team can score points, and so the Raiders will have Jimmy G back. I, don't, I may, as I'm avoid, saying this out loud, avoid, I avoid don't like that. it. Avoid that, yeah. And then the next one is even worse. It's Chargers minus three at the Jets. And this is just one of those things where the Chargers have to be able to score 17 points, and that will be enough to beat the Jets, you know, in terms of the Jets' offense. Three points seems doable. Am I insane for thinking of taking the Chargers on the East Coast against a good defense? I think you're insane for taking the Chargers <laughs> anywhere, anytime, at any place. It it looks small. I, I did. I, I admit I didn't see that one on the board there, and because that would have tickled my fancy a little bit too. But maybe maybe I just have Chargers blinders on, where I just know not to take them in any situation. Out are of the, the two, Jets gonna go to five? Are they gonna be five and three with an offense that can't score points? I mean, it just it's it's puzzling. Or is but. that the game that the Chargers completely charger and they finally get rid of Brandon Staley? I don't know. I don't know. I, w- I would obviously lean Chargers in that game, um, but ugh, I have a tough time. I have a tough time taking it. It's prime time too. It's the Monday night. It's the Monday night game too. Which I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. Um, all right, I'm gonna avoid. I'm I'm gonna use Tim's been hot this season. I'm gonna listen to him, and I'm officially deleting both picks. So it's just three. It's just Seahawks, Chiefs, and Bengals. Um, thank you, Tim. I I, I appreciate your I you, uh, your your diligence here. Um, all right, that's going to do it for, for us, uh, a fun episode. It's better to talk when the Ravens have won football games. Um, and we'll be back next week with, uh, with the trio to talk about, hopefully, uh, another Ravens victory for Tim Horsey. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you very much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week.